lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. <laughs> Welcome to Cast Aside, guys. This is your host, Jamil Shivji. And in the studio with us today is Roxy Cowan. <laughs> Say hello, Roxy. <laughs> Hi. Um, you've grown up in the industry. Yeah. Your father is a major hotshot producer. Hotshot, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> um, he has produced The Conjuring, Aquaman, so many Melissa McCarthy movies is what I really care about because I love <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. But the first time we met, was do you remember this so we did this film program at usc this summer we were in your sweet mate's room yes yeah and we were all gonna watch a movie oh right i forgot about this we decided to watch the conjuring yeah (laughs) and roxy didn't say a thing Well, because I didn't want to be like, oh, my dad produced this. Like, I'm cool. Because <laughs> so, then it just sounds obnoxious. Like, there's no way to subtly bring it up. Okay, I respect you for that. <laughs> but that was so insane because I remember when we became better friends <laughs> and I found out your dad produced The Conjuring. <laughs> I was like, we watched that on the first night of this program. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was a little tidbit. That was kind of funny yeah, that I, I should about talk about. That's funny. <laughs> so... Have you always wanted to be a filmmaker since you were a kid? Because you've grown up around it. Not necessarily. I always enjoyed going to set and sort of being in the atmosphere of Seeing Melissa McCarthy every day so casually. Okay, not when I was younger. So whenever my dad was on location, I would always ask when we would go visit him, oh, can I come to set with you? And that sort of wound up happening every day. Um, For a while... I was like, oh, I want to be an actor because like I think everyone because I did musical theater when I was younger. So I was like, oh, okay, like that's what I want to do. And then that just like went away real fast. Then I just became really interested in movies. And I remember bringing home this one library book that was about like special effects or something. And I was like, oh, dad, can we go through this? And I always watch the behind the scenes. Like, I feel like that's like a classic thing that people who like film do. But it would I wouldn't necessarily always watch the movie. I would watch the movie and then go back and watch the behind the scenes because I just found it really interesting. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. When you watch the movie and then they see the behind the scenes and that's a little more interesting yeah. than the actual movie, Yeah. then you're like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, so that wasn't necessarily, like, oh, this is what I want to do. But eventually I was like, oh, I can do this if I want to. Like, it's not just something that I'm interested in. It's actually something that I can go out and do and finally pursue. Yeah, I was going to ask when you had that realization because... So many people think that filmmaking and art artistry is a hobby versus yeah. a profession. Yeah. When did you have that sort of realization where, oh, I can actually do this? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You would have, you'd think it would have come earlier considering I was always surrounded by people who were actually doing it. But I feel like because I grew up in it, it was like, oh, that's, that's a goal. That's higher than me. Right. So it was probably around when I was applying or starting to think about college. Really? I mean, it was a little bit before that because I still was making things and, but it was more of a hobby. Right. And so I was like, okay, well I'll do this for now. And then when I figure out what I actually want to do, I'll do that. Right. But, um, yeah, it was probably when I was applying for colleges. So you went through with this, obviously. Yes. You are going to Chapman. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, you created a feature film recently, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, when did you do that? We wrapped early June we started shooting in like April-ish that's amazing you were a junior that (laughs) time um at an all-girls prep school that's one of the hardest schools in Los (laughs) Angeles how the hell did you juggle that you know when did you shoot did you always shoot on the weekends yeah so basically it was whenever I could find time to do it 
We may have done a few Friday nights, but yeah, it was just on the weekend. So that's why it took so long to shoot it because total, it was about 20 days of shooting, but it took months to do because of, of course breaks and school robotics tournaments and all these other things. But luckily I started shooting in spring break. Right. So, or maybe right before, but I had spring break in there. So I just shot almost every day during that. So I got a good chunk of it done. But yeah, there was a lot of organization trying to get people to be, be able, able to be shoot. available for yeah. the weekend. So how did this come to, because I think you're the only person I know who shot a feature film at such a young age. Were you the director? Or like, what role did you have? This is going to sound like self-centered, but I was kind of everything. No, I, had I, to I completely be get that. Yeah. Um, I often would bring in people for sound because you can't really do yeah. directing, shooting and sound. I would bring in people for shooting it because I found out very fast that I can't direct and shoot at the same time, which is something I learned on that and I try to keep that um, with other things that I make or if somebody else is doing something I can suggest like oh I can do the camera because it's really hard to do camera and focus on what you're shooting and what the camera's capturing rather than also looking at the performance so it's I know some people can do it but I was not a fan of that I know what you mean because I recently wrote directed and starred in a short film oh my goodness and it was one of the hardest things I had to do because I had to focus on being in the character yeah which was a really hard dark dramatic character while at the same time directing and it was so hard that's why i i respect people who can do that so much yeah <laughs> why don't you give the listeners a little synopsis or a log on okay well just here. give them a little teaser sure for sure i wouldn't necessarily say that this is like a magical realism movie but that is mm -hmm. a genre that i'm interested in so i tried to incorporate that as much as i could so it's basically about what would happen if a shapeshifter took over a girl's life so i did some research on shapeshifting and like the folklore of it and so i found this welsh mythology that surrounded it and so there were these things called arons in like i don't remember exactly what it was but i think it's just this like welsh folklore and aron switched bodies with this other character because of something that had to do with dogs i don't remember exactly it was like this weird <laughs> thing that i couldn't incorporate i was like i have no idea how right. to do this but basically they switched for a year and a day and they never switched back. And so that was when I was like, oh, okay, I'll incorporate that. And so the whole premise is that the shapeshifter wants to switch into this other person for a full year and a day and then they won't switch back and she'll take her body and keep going. So. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Thank okay, you. that's really cool. Thank you. When you were developing the script then, how long did that take? Did you have the idea and then just snowball into writing the script? Or like you said, did you do a lot of research before even writing the script? I kind of just started writing it. It was originally going to be a short. I always had the three milestone thing where it was like the shapeshifter helps her get the grade up, the guy and the girl. And so that was always there. Right. But it was originally 12 pages and I was like, okay, I'm not done. Like I haven't gotten to the end. And then it was 45 pages. Oh my and God. I was like, this still doesn't feel like enough. And then it was 70 pages and I was like, I'm just going to go for a full 100. So I think the longest it was was 125. It was really, really fun. And I was really interested in the story and like crafting the story. So it was always exciting writing it and it never felt boring. That's so important because when you start to write something and you just lose the passion for it. Yeah, that just happened. And it's so horrible. Really? Like you literally just feel like you want to like throw the script out the window. I know exactly what you mean because when you start writing it, it's like, oh, you're so, it's so cool. And then you kind of lose sight of why and how yeah. and then you lose the soul in the script mm -hmm. and then you just read it and you're like this is not that great it's sad <laughs> yeah, especially if it's half finished like you exactly. haven't gotten to the end exactly yeah, exactly like, if it's finished then okay that's fine yeah exactly but if it's half finished 
and you want to just get to the end. Yeah. It's like you're stuck in that second act. But you've lost that passion for it because then yeah. it becomes a chore writing it. Exactly. So. And it's it's sad because when it becomes a chore writing it, then you're like, should I even be doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because you could move on to something else more exciting, but you don't want to abandon a project that you were so excited about before. Exactly. And then you have a bunch of half-finished yeah. scripts. <laughs> we love those. <laughs> so in terms of bringing the feature film together, mm-hmm. how did you go about that? Yeah, so... The first thing I did was I texted some of the friends <laughs> at school who I know do acting. And so I sent them one of the scenes that's in the film. And I said, can you send me a video audition? Which actually helped a lot with the writing of the scene because I realized what was wrong with it. Because there's probably about maybe seven characters, seven like lead characters. So I reached out to a family friend of ours who actually used to babysit me. But her husband works on a TV show or is like in a TV show with a bunch of kids. And so... Bunny? I, what? Barney? Yeah, he's on Barney. No, he's not on Barney. He is Barney, guys. <laughs> yeah. Shh, don't tell. Um, no, he was on School of Rock. <laughs> okay. On, I think it was Nickelodeon. I don't know. It's Nickelodeon. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, you would know, wouldn't you? <laughs> Go on. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> so um, I basically said, hey, I'm looking for some actors. Do you have anyone that you can recommend? And I got two kids from him, and they were really, really nice. Who are on School of Rock. One was, yes, and then his sister. That's was really also good. There. Yeah, he was. You know, they're professional actors. Exactly, right. yeah. And so then my dad reached out to a few people, and somehow we got these two twins to play the lead role. And then also, when the shapeshifter changes into the lead girl, we had the other twin play her so Wait, we could I have them in the same room. That. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because did you use VFX? No, not at all. Yeah, so the twins helped a lot. So we were actually able to do shots of them in the same room. Because That's so helpful because I was reading the synopsis you sent me and I was like, you must have used VFX. No, yeah, the twins helped a lot. And before we had the twins, I was like, I'm just going to have to figure it out and just do quick cuts and just make it look like they're the same person, but not ever really be able to have them together. So you've obviously, you've grown up in the industry. Mm-hmm. You've grown up on the other side. So you've grown up on the more corporate producer side of the industry, right? Um, sort of. I've luckily been able to see both sides. I've been more so set side. I mean, because that's more easy to visit than like, hey, dad, can I come to the meeting with you? So, of course, of course. Um, but I, yeah, sort of ish. Yeah. Right. So you've seen the industry from a young age. So you, have you seen how the transformation of the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, how they've changed the industry? I mean, I guess I, regarding that, have sort of seen that from an outside perspective. Right. Because I never found that it was a conversation on set that Mm -hmm. would happen, but not necessarily, which I feel bad about saying. There's probably been some more nuanced things that have happened that I just haven't noticed. But yeah, that's been more from an outsider perspective and like looking at the industry as like the goal or a goal. Right. And sort of hoping to see more change and seeing like the good change that's happened. Right, because it's hard to notice at a young age in the first place. So yeah. I was wondering, did you notice that there are less women directors and how there are no Oscar nominees who are women for best director this year? Did that ever discourage you from going into the industry? Not really. Yeah. I mean, I definitely noticed that my dad had never worked with a female director and he still hasn't. And I'm not shame like... Shame on you, dad. See, I was just about to say, I'm not like shame on you, dad, because it's sort of like, you know, whatever comes up. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, um, I'm kidding. It should mostly be based on, you know, how talented you are as a director. Yeah, for sure. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I definitely had a embedded stereotype of, oh, the women are the assistants and the women do the hair and makeup and the women do the set designing, but they Mm -hmm. don't do the set construction or they don't work in the camera department. And that wasn't necessarily because anyone told me that or I wasn't 
necessarily because I believed that. It was right. more so that was just sort of what I was seeing. But I have definitely noticed, and maybe this is just me being more aware of who I'm around. On Aquaman, for example, um, there were so many women in the camera department. There were so many women in construction. Um, I worked with a lot of women in the art department and just sort of seeing the crossover of more opportunity for women. And yeah. Was, <laughs> was that the first time you've sort of seen a change like that, like that you've seen women in the camera department on one of your dad's sets or on a set in general and seen women in the construction department? I think primarily because of the Me Too mov- movement and the Time's Up movement, I've just become more aware. Right. And also a large part of this also comes from the school that I go to because... Yeah, you go to an all-girls school. Yeah, so we're very vocal about that and you start to notice it really quickly when there's no women and when there are, which sounds really Wait, dumb. No, but which makes sense because... When you've been around women mainly throughout your schooling, mm-hmm. then you you could you start to notice on sets, right? Yeah. I remember actually talking to one of the women who worked in the camera department, and I was asking her the same question, did you ever feel discouraged? And she said, not really, but there were times when I sort of had to assert myself and show, oh, no, I can, I can do this. I can do the heavy lifting. I even found this a little bit at the summer program, and we were loading the truck for one of our shoot days, and I kept trying to pick things up. And I don't think it's because you know, like, oh, I'm a woman, I'm frail. But people kept taking it away from me to load on the truck. And I was like, no, I can do this. And so that's sort of what she was talking about. It's more of like, no, I'm fine. I can take this and load it. So that was a surprise that she ever felt discouraged, mm-hmm. but um, also nice to, to it's, see. It is good. Yeah. It is good to see that, that some women in the industry have never encountered a situation where they felt extremely discouraged. You know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's an assumption that women can't do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that is changing with all the movements. So you obviously support the Time's Up and Me Too movement. Yeah, for sure. As a filmmaker, as a producer, what do you want to do? Filmmaking, producing, pro- everything, directing, what do you want to do? I don't want to do directing. I okay. know that for sure. Okay. I don't know. I mean, what's cool is that there's so many different jobs. Yeah, there's so many different avenues. Now, like, there's so many new things that are coming up because of advancement of technology and more platforms. So, going back to colleges, sort of simplify it into, okay, do you want to direct? Do you want to produce? Do you want to edit? Do you want to shoot? Do you want to write? Right. And so, you sort of take those paths, and then there's so many different other branches that you can go off into. Yeah. So... I think producing is the top of my mind just because that's what I'm exposed to and I know I don't like directing, um, <laughs> but I also really like writing and um, production design and all this other stuff. So I know you mean when I was doing like the writing and the directing and the starring in that short film I just mm-hmm. did, I had to set design and do all these other things too. Yeah. And I've never been too exposed to jobs like set design as a profession. Right. You always just think about the major roles like producing, directing, and writing. Yeah. But then there was a moment where I was like, wait, I could actually do this and mm-hmm. be happy and have a great profession and live life like that. Yeah. But it is interesting when you're applying to college, they m- make you choose from those big roles, which is good in a way because then you're not limited to options after college. Yeah. But it's very categorizing. Yeah. But I guess also going back to the short film thing, that's what's so fun about making short films is that you have to do everything. Exactly. Because no one has, I mean... No, I mean, maybe there is some teenager out there, but few teenagers who are making short films have a 50-person crew who can do the makeup and the hair and the costumes and the set design and the editing. Which was interesting because I actually did that. I raised like $7,000 a while ago. Oh, no, yes, you did. You did tell me this. Right. This Um, is the pilot, right? Right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. To to shoot and to hire a crew, a professional crew, and just see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And then it was odd because um, 
I had to be the boss of these, like everyone who's older than me. And it was so odd, but it was also so empowering in a way and made me so much more mature. But it was the first time that I had to be the boss of a professional crew mm. who's like expecting a set to go a certain way and not kind of be oh a short film set we can do like whatever you know what i mean yeah um did you do that a little bit on the sh- feature film a little bit i had a lot of professional actors which was really nerve-wracking because i knew that i had to show that i knew kind of what i was doing and like make sure that i kept yeah. things moving i mean there was definitely some sort of casualness about it because we were shooting at my house for the majority of it um they weren't getting paid which is like i feel so bad about that but i couldn't do it so of course and especially on a feature film you shoot for so long yeah how does a 17 year old yeah pay their cast yeah so i definitely got that with that right okay so as a woman in film aspiring non-aspiring because you've always you've already written and directed and shot a feature film what do you hope to see the Me Too and Time's Up movement do? And also, like, how would you help it? Because I've talked to people, they write scripts from the point of view of a problem. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. if they want to raise awareness for mental health, Mm -hmm. then they go based on that and they do that. Would you ever do that for the Me Too or Time's Up movement? Like, would you cast an all-women's cast, all-women's crew? What is your take on that? Well, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this this morning because with Iran, the feature film. Right that just sort of happened and this definitely comes because I go to an all-girls school so I just write you know like the write what you know adage but the four main characters are all girls and so that just happened because that's what I can write and so I felt very uncomfortable writing there's only two male roles in the thing in the (laughs) feature so I was trying to figure out okay how do I write this and I know it's not any different but just trying to make the dialogue seem natural yeah of course so and like I said, primarily surrounded by girls, so I don't know a lot of guys. So that sounds so sad, I know, but um, <laughs> I was gonna be honest. But yeah, and then also with the crew, there's a lot of girls at my school who are interested in film, so I didn't have to go far. And this was also before the USC film program, so right. I knew a smaller circle of people. And even at the program, there weren't that many people who were from LA. But, um, but yeah, that just sort of happened with an all female crew and a mostly female cast right. because of what I had availability to right of course and it's you know write what you know it's, it's like a golden rule mm-hmm. and it's also a rule that can be broken yeah for sure because i when i was more of an aspiring writer in terms of like when i was beginning to write a couple years ago um i got some advice that said write what you know and actually i'd never heard that before really? which was weird but it's also because i didn't grow up in the entertainment industry as well you know so someone told me that and what i was writing at the time was a supernatural sort of not of this world totally my own world kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I'm like how do I have confidence that I know about this stuff it's such a rule that could be bended even my teacher at USC he was saying that he was like that rule is garbage yeah I have heard a lot of people say that because it it can be sort of confining but I definitely think it's a good guiding it definitely is a good guiding especially if you're beginning to write you Mm -hmm. know what I mean because you have to find your voice in a way but it's also like don't be afraid to do research to yeah to, if you want to write a movie about dancing but you know nothing about dancing do a ton of research okay, i think another thing with the write what you know is that it doesn't have to be the full thing of your piece because with 
Iran. I don't necessarily read supernatural stuff. I don't watch supernatural stuff. Like, I find it interesting, and I like horror movies that have ghost stuff. And not that Iran had ghosts in it, but with shape-shifting, it's not obviously realistic. So that part wasn't a right what you know, but the characters and the experiences and the dialogue was. Um, And I could draw a lot of my own experiences and put them into what the characters did. So it's not the whole story has to be what you're familiar with, your life, and you in the film. It's also the different aspects of the film. You can like pull from your own. I, I always find that with any script, the more you do to develop the idea and the relationships and the dynamics, mm-hmm. the better the script will be. Yeah. We've wrapped the podcast. Great. Do you want to play a little game? Oh, I'll sure. A little game. Okay. I'm going to pick a character from your feature film that you just did. <laughs> okay. okay. And I'm going to give them a situation. Okay. <laughs> and you're going to either act out a line mm-hmm. or say how they would react in the situation. Okay. That okay. sounds easy. Ellis just got kicked out of school for cheating on a test. Mm. How would she react? Hmm. Inter- okay, well, I don't know if Ellis necessarily would cheat on a test because she's kind of the, not goody two-shoes, mm. but yeah, I don't know if she necessarily would, but if she did, it would be a lot of having to work herself up to tell her mom and like having to rehearse what to say and going over it and that kind of <laughs> stuff. So, right, um, right, right. I mean, she seems to have a pretty good relationship with her mom. She's pretty open with her but yeah i i don't think it would be easy yeah if there was no phone like call home if the school didn't call home they were like so this is what happened uh yeah it'd be a lot of i can do this okay let's do let's let's, right, let's go right okay okay mm-hmm. number two yes lane the shapeshifter she just found out that everyone found out she's a shapeshifter would she run would she fight what would she do she would leave she would get out of town yeah as fast as she can that's um, interesting okay the backstory that I gave for the Iran, because I made them like a species rather than just a person. Um, Ooh. I mean, yeah, so there's a larger group of Irans. Lane isn't the only Iran. Is How'd you come up with the name? Iran? Yeah. That comes from the Welsh mythology. It kind of helped to base it in the mythology because then I knew what I had to go back to. Right. So okay. yeah, and then the, the title came from that. And people find it impossible to say. It's just Iran. Iran. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Um, or she would leave town. Oh, right. So, yeah, the backstory I gave for the Irans is that they're more of a species than just sort of, like, one person. Like, she's not the only Iran. Okay. Um, is that they travel from city to city, and they switch bodies with people, and they get their most prominent talent. Mm-hmm. So, the person that Lane switched with before mm-hmm. was a really good basketball player, so now Lane is a really good basketball player. Mm-hmm. And so, when Lane and Ellis switch, then she would be called Ellis, mm-hmm. and she would... Because Ellis is a really good artist, so then she would have that talent. Mm-hmm. So, she can find somebody else somewhere else. She was deep into Ellis's like switch with the year and a day thing, but yeah, she would she would leave. Okay, for sure. Three. Roxy Cowan. <laughs> she just found out she got into Chapman. What did she do? <laughs> um. This was this was supposed to be real. <laughs> supposed to be. Just prefacing. <laughs> got really excited and cried a little bit. I was really, really happy. That's the best. Because I wasn't expecting it. Like, I, a lot of people got emails saying, oh, you're going to find out um, in a few days tomorrow, tonight. Yeah. I didn't get that email. It was just something popped up in my inbox saying, your status has been updated. I was like, oh, because I'd gotten emails like that before. And so I was like, okay, like, I'll just wait until I get home. And so I just read the first line and I was like, oh, this is so great. So. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having this me. Is-
the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. Catch you next time, guys. <laughs> or you'll catch me next time. I can catch you too, though. <laughs> catch me every other Monday at 12 on castasidepodcast.com. Peace out.